Hey, Prime members, you can listen to That Spooky early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. You're listening to a Morbid Network podcast. Whether you hydrate to live or live to hydrate, Liquid IV quenches your thirst faster than water alone. With three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients for everyday wellness, all in a single sugar-free stick. Liquid IV is perfect for daily use before a workout, when you feel run down, after a long night out, or on long flights. Basically, anytime you need a pick-me-up, however you hydrate. Grab your Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier Sugar-Free in bulk nationwide at Costco. Or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code WONDERY at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code WONDERY at liquidiv.com. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Spooky. I'm Johnny. And I'm Tyler. And this is a weekly podcast that's hosted by the two husbands of Joe Exotic that they didn't tell you about. <laughs> right. Yeah. You didn't see us because we didn't sign the release forms. Yeah. And uh-huh. they didn't want us for that documentary anyway. They took one good look at us and they were like, nope, not enough earrings, too many teeth. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, it wouldn't be believable. But let it be known. There were lions, there were tigers, and there were bears, honey. <laughs> oh, and my. And we loved him. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, if you're listening to this in the future and you have no idea what we're talking about, A, Hello, future. Hi. Hope Donald Trump's not the president of the United States anymore. Uh-huh. And B, uh, Tiger King. It was a very beloved documentary on Netflix during the time of COVID-19. Yeah, yeah. When we were all locked inside of our houses with nothing to watch. Yeah, we were all locked yeah. inside of our houses going crazy, watching a bunch of people on television going crazy. Yeah, so mm-hmm. sorry if you're confused, listener of the future, but we're being topical right now. Thank you. Yeah, very current. Yeah, mm-hmm. now, speaking of being current, we should dive into some spooky gay bullshit. Yes, we should. And we should talk about the most recent episode of Drag Race to start it off. Yes, we should. We are going to be talking about season 12, episode... Five. Yeah, so two minutes of Drag Race, get into it. What were your high points and low points? This was the Gaze Anatomy Challenge uh-huh. and the Cape Runway. Yes, so it was an acting challenge, and the runway is all about Cape. So uh, my high point was from the runway. I loved Aiden Zane's look. Mm-hmm. It was referential to Science of the Limbs. It was all that visuosity that I wanted. <laughs> it was simple. You loved it so much, it made you invent a word. Yes, it did. Yeah, visuosity. what's up? Yeah, you no. can just call me Tyra Banks. Thank you so much. You're welcome. 
Um, but yeah, Aiden's look was great. It was very simple, and I feel like that's often, it seems to be what Aiden strives for in aesthetic, and sometimes it lands, sometimes it doesn't, but this time it was perfect. Totally. No, they definitely picked the right references to kind of pull into the outfit to make it scream Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. I think the only other way to kind of do it would be like naked from the waist down, tucked with a skin cape. <laughs> yeah, that's one way to do it. Yeah, yeah. I just don't think that would pass the censor board. Maybe not. But yeah, snaps for Aiden. Yeah. Yeah, we love that. All right. Well, I would say then that my high point is kind of like a multi-episode high point. Mm -hmm. It is RuPaul's love of Crystal Method's hair. Oh my God, yeah. I hope that you, the listener, someday are loved by somebody as much as RuPaul loves that, in his words, Eldebarge hairdo, honey. Uh Uh-huh, he loved that mullet. Look, nobody asked, but RuPaul has been constantly invoking the spirit of Eldebarge from Uh DeBarge in the room in a reference that I don't think anybody else in the room aside from RuPaul really gets Mm -hmm. but everyone's just playing along and dancing to Rhythm of the Night whenever RuPaul starts singing it and it's just a good time Uh yeah like it's kind of imagine if you will that meme where it's like nobody and blank and Uh then RuPaul and like yes that Eldebarge hairdo honey (laughs) it is very that every single moment even brought it up on the runway every time Mm -hmm. Crystal Method is addressed from now on now Crystal Method is a smart bitch she's just gonna come out one day wearing that hair on the runway you know what I mean just coming out wigless and if World of Wonder are smart bitches, they are going to have Elder Barge at that reunion slash finale if they're still alive. Yeah. And uh, well, I hope that Rhythm of the Night is going to be a lip sync at some point. Right. And I mean, I guess we'll also have to see what happens with this uh, reunion because as of right now, nobody's feeling nothing. It might be oh, digital, honey. Yeah, it might be digital. Webcam. Yeah. It's going to be a Zoom event. Mm-hmm, uh-huh. Truly. All right. So before we get too off the rails, we should say low points. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So what were yours? Okay, my low point is just coming from the house of filter because Britta is driving me nuts. She needed a little bit more filter. She on needed that a Britta. little bit more yeah. filter on that Britta. I almost went into so like much. a nanny accent. I was like, she needed a little bit more filter. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's like, I love drama. It's a reality TV show. It's what you want. It's what you expect. But just that energy that she's bringing is not drama. It's just like bullying. Mm-hmm. And everybody is kind of. It, I mean, if you watched Untucked, you're going to know exactly what it is. If you haven't watched Untucked, you need to because everybody just started ganging up on Aiden and it was ridiculous. It was like triggering. It was wild. It was like, oh yeah, there's the spooky alternative person. Let's all gang up on them and pick on them. Like I've seen it before. I've seen it play out in real life. It's not cute. Even removed from like spooky alternative person, it's just like, oh, there's the quiet one that we perceive as inexperienced in the room. Yeah. Like let's go for the throat. Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't love it. It was not a good look. But I will say I loved when Heidi just told everybody to fuck up. Oh, yeah. No, that needs to be, oh, yeah, immortalized. Uh-huh. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. It was like mm-hmm. very Britney Spears. Completely. Mm-hmm. I hope that's tattooed on somebody at this point. Right? Yeah, truly. That was great. How about you? What was your low point? Well, I mean, I would say that my low point was kind of a challenge. No, mm-hmm. I mean, I shouldn't say that. It's really just because I've never watched Grey's Anatomy, so I don't get the references necessarily. Right. That's not the challenge's fault. I would say that my low point of the episode would be the winner of the challenge. I mean, it was Shitty Predator. <laughs> right. Nobody yeah, asked yeah. for that. Yeah, Shardy Poop. Yeah, the queen who should not be named. So, yeah, not loving that. No, definitely. And the show has actually been really doing a good job editing around Shardy Pie. Mm-hmm. So then when all of a sudden you're like, oh, who's going to win? You're not even taking them into consideration. And then they do. And it's a little disappointing. And it's just like, oh, yeah, fuck. 
Yeah. The snap to reality. Yeah. But anyway, it is what it is. Yeah. We can't change the past. We can only influence the future. Unfortunately. Mm-hmm. By the way, if you can't tell, I'm just holding back a whole lot of commentary because I don't want the spooky gay bullshit to be 20 minutes. Well, but that's it. Well, maybe we should just move yeah. on to the next segment. I'm, spooky gay bullshit. I'm just a ticking yeah bomb at this point. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Right. All right, gritting my teeth. All, All right. right. So now that is two minutes of Drag Race. We will talk about the next episode next week and uh-huh. have a good time. As but we do. For now, before we get into your story for spooky gay bullshit, uh-huh. I just want to shed a little bit of light on something that some spooky bitches made us aware of okay. in recent weeks. So if you are currently in self-isolation, quarantine, whatever, from COVID-19, mm-hmm. you might have some extra time on your hands. You might. And if you are looking for something free to do on the internet, you can hop over to winchestermysteryhouse.com or catacombs, and that's catacombs with an E, dot mm. Paris dot fr and do respectively a virtual tour of the catacombs or a video tour of the winchester mystery house i mean how cool is that yeah it's super cool it's super spooky and i wasn't aware of it until danielle and hillary sent us the links of the catacombs one and then hillary and somebody else i think somebody else maybe not but if it was you and i'm not shouting you out let us know i'll throw it in oopsie poopsies but they sent that our way on instagram mm-hmm. and i just want to say thank you and if you are bored you should check that out honeys yeah you yeah. might yeah you know, you, you might can, learn something. <laughs> you might learn something and you might solve a mystery in the process. Oh, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that's all I had to say about that. All right. Well, I have a little piece of media for spooky gay bullshit this week, and it comes out of India, honey. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this happened, I think, at the beginning of March, but I just read about it this week, and it's a wackadoo enough that I want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So I guess this went down in the Big Noor district in India. So there was a man named Sanju, and Sanju was on his way home from work. Not sure what he did for a living, but he was on his way home from work, and he had a bag. And he went into his home, and there his wife was. Her name is Sunita, and she was just in the house getting things ready for dinner. He was home a little bit earlier than expected. Whatever. But he had this bag, and he was like, hey, can you cook this for me for dinner? Mm -hmm. And when she looked at it, it was a severed hand. No, ma'am. A human hand. Okay. Yeah. He brought it home and asked his wife, his loving wife, to please cook it for him for dinner. Okay, so I'm assuming this wasn't a common occurrence in the household. No. Okay, this no. was the first hand he had brought home. It was the first hand. I yeah. think it was the first body part that he had brought home. The first yeah. human body part, at least. He's like, he happy fifth home. anniversary, honey. It's the handiversary. Right, Didn't exactly. You know? Now, Sunita was so freaked out that she literally just fainted. Okay. She just fainted in the home, but when she came to, she awoke to her husband. Dangling the hand on her? No. No. (laughs) No, but he was already in the middle of preparing the hand for supper. Oh. Uh So she freaked out. She ran out of the house. She locked him in the house and then called the authorities. I mean, that's smart. It's the thing to do. Sure. So the police show up. They arrest him. They confiscate the hand. Had he been eating it? He hadn't been eating it yet. As far as 
I know. Yeah. I don't think so. But they basically tested it. They, they verified that it was, yes, human skin, human okay. flesh, a human hand, and they arrested him. They come to find out that he is a bit of an alcoholic, so he was drunk at the time. Mm-hmm. He also has some undiagnosed mental illness because a few days prior he had also attacked his father. So there was more going oh, on than just okay. deciding, hey, I want to eat this hand. This wasn't just like a dad joke gone too far. No, like, exactly. I could see this as like a Halloween dad joke, you know, where he comes home and he's like, I went to the butcher, honey. Right, yeah, yeah. You know, and he has like, yeah, on. totally. Yeah, it wasn't that. There was definitely some mental illness at play. So he's currently in the custody of the police. He's being held. They're investigating it further. They tried to figure out where he got the hand. Yeah, that's a good like, question. You don't just stumble upon a human hand, but apparently he stole it from a nearby crematorium. Okay. So there was a body. He cut the hand off the body put it in a Ziploc bag and then took it home wanting to have it for dinner. So that is an interesting chain of events. Uh-huh. So he was just like walking by the crematorium and like started smacking his lips together and was like, mm-mm-mm, I have a rumbly in my tumbly. <laughs> and the only yeah. thing that can fix it mm-hmm. might be in that building over there and like hops on in, you know, walks to where the bodies would be stored because I'm assuming they're not right out there in the open. No. And then he's just like, yeah, it looks like good eating. Yeah. Now yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't determine from the articles that I read what he did for a living. It didn't seem to allude to the fact that he worked at this crematorium. He just happened to be aware of it. And you know, pressed his luck and yeah. whammy. He he won. He got the hand that he wanted. <laughs> Congratulations! Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, and he sufficiently freaked out his wife in the process. In fact, Sunita is or was too afraid to even go back in the house after all of this went down. It was a cursed place in her mind. At I that don't point. blame you. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. damn. Well, I hope he gets the help that he needs. I'm Same. glad that he didn't acquire it from a living person. Mm-hmm. Although, like desecrating a corpse, that's a no-no. That's not cute. And uh, yeah, damn. I hope that Sunita. Is is able to sleep somewhere where a hand wasn't recently cooked. Definitely. Because, yeah, I don't blame her at all. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I know most of us are in quarantine. A lot of us are self-isolating. We're starting running out of ideas for recipes. This is one that I don't recommend. Noted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, if it pops up on Bon Appetit, you say, no, no. No, 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 no. No, Claire, thank you for the recipe. I will not take it. (laughs) Right. Shouldn't you be doing, like, a Gourmet Chef Attempts video right now? Not serving up hand recipes? Right. Just do something fun with potatoes. Just do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I didn't mean to call her out. She was just the only Bon Appetit chef I could think about in the moment. All right. Right. So thank you, Tyler. You're welcome. Damn. Mm -hmm. All right. So anything else for Oopsie Poopsies? Oh, we're getting into Oopsie Poopsies? Oh, I mean Spooky Gate bullshit. Uh Nothing more for Spooky Gate bullshit, but I do actually have something for Oopsie Poopsies. Wonderful. So that was my Freudian slip Uh because, yeah, (laughs) now it's time for Oopsie Poopsies. So I just want to apologize on behalf of us Mm -hmm. for evoking... Kirstie Alley. Yeah. Because literally... <laughs> we didn't really evoke her so much uh-huh. as we talked about 25 tips for a better life from her. Right, right, yeah. right. Or 25 things we didn't know. Oh, sorry. Uh-huh. Yeah, but essentially... But essentially, <laughs> literally the day that the episode dropped last week, so on Wednesday, she was being run through the press because she was thanking Donald Trump for doing such an amazing job leading the country. Yeah. And I mean... 
we are all aware that like the U.S. is kind of like really going through it right now. Yeah. And he's like, we just need to open up businesses. Who cares if people die? So apologies, y'all, for bringing her into the limelight. Yeah. We have banished her back. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. we banish you back to hell. Yeah. yeah. She will not be back until there is another reality competition, a celebrity reality competition show that she can sign up for. Totally. Yeah, yeah that meantime, doesn't involve skating sick. or dancing or singing. <laughs> right, yeah, preferably yeah. something. Something that doesn't require any kind of I mean, Big Brother kind of UK worked for her really well because right. she just had to exist yeah. for a month. Yeah. 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 And existing, she's pretty good at that. She was actually sadly entertaining on that. Anyway, <laughs> let's move forward. Yeah. All right. So I don't have any oopsie poopsies this week, but I do have a little bit of housekeeping that I just want to attend to. Mm-hmm. I just want to shine a little bit of light on the fact that on the secret society that doesn't suck, we have mini episodes called Spooky Snacks mm-hmm. where we do topics that are a little bit too short for the main show and recently not only did we cover our first spontaneous human combustion Uh but in this most recent episode we covered what may be the most fun conspiracy theory we've ever covered absolutely the one about Uh avril lavigne being dead and replaced with a clone that has assumed her identity so if you have not listened to it yet we invite you to hop on over to the secret society and do so asap Uh it will definitely lift your spirits during these covid times yeah during the reign of Ms. Rona. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, if you're able to join the Secret Society, like we were saying uh, over the last few episodes, we would really appreciate it because... These two divas are day jobless due to Ms. Rona. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Support your girls if you can. If you can't, it's cool. We got a wiener dog to put through college over here. <laughs> right. And yeah. he's going to go through a lot of college because he's dumb and he's going to fail a lot. Yeah. And I mean, dumb in a cute way. <laughs> yeah. Like you look at a baby and you say, you're so dumb. Yeah. Except yeah. he actually is kind of dumb. He can't uh, even like scratch his head. He can ding a bell to get a treat. Yeah. Yeah. That's because he's an opportunist. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. True, very true. (laughs) All right, so that's all I have for housekeeping and oopsie poopsies. And that's all I have for housekeeping, and that's all I have for oopsie poopsies. So I guess we can just get into it. All right, I love that. Uh And you're going first this week, right? Uh huh. Cute. Yeah. What did you bring? All right, so we're going back into the cool waters of true crime and cool as in cold and chilling because this week I am going to be talking about the hyena of. Kerataro. Okay, first question. Is it an actual hyena? No. Oh. It is a human. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I think it's Kerataro. Maybe it's Kerataro. I'll probably say both interchangeably, and both are probably wrong. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to do my best with my Spanish pronunciations, because this is in Mexico. I support you. Thank you. All right. So around 5 a.m. on April 24th, 1989, Veronica Vaquez is awoken by the sound of her telephone ringing. She answered the phone to a distressed Claudia Minagos. Now, Claudia Minagos was a friend of Veronica who lived in a small home in Kerataro City. 
City, Mexico, with her three children, six-year-old Alfredo, nine-year-old Anna Boleyn, and 11-year-old Claudia Maria. Okay. Now, Claudia Mijanagos was recently separated from her husband, Alfredo Castano, whom she had had an argument with the day prior after he dropped their children off to her home after school. Got it. Now, on the phone, Claudia was distressed. She said she had been woken up by voices that were keeping her awake, and Veronica did what she could to try and calm Claudia down over the phone. She told Claudia to try to go back to bed, to get some sleep, and that she would be by later in the morning to check in on her. Unassured, Claudia ended her conversation with Veronica, and Veronica went back to sleep. Now, later on that morning, Veronica arrived to Claudia's home in Kiataro, and she walked up to the front door and knocked, but there was no answer. She knocked again and again, and then eventually Claudia opened the door. Veronica was immediately struck by Claudia's appearance. She was fully dressed, but covered in blood and seemed to be in a state of shock. Now, Veronica asked her what was wrong, what had happened, and then immediately she remembered the children. Veronica asked Claudia where Alfredo and Boleyn and Claudia Maria were, but no response. Veronica hurried up the stairs towards their bedroom, and the amount of blood in the home was disconcerting. Upstairs, Veronica found each child dead, murdered in their beds. Excuse me, are you sure you're not just reading the script of La Llorona? I mean, (laughs) it it kind of sounds like that, doesn't it? Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Damn. Yeah, but from what I understand, there's no relation from that and this. But regardless, when Veronica came upon this, she was just completely shocked and she ran downstairs. She's passed by Claudia and went out the door. She found a telephone and immediately called the police. And then after calling the police, Veronica called Claudia's husband, Alfredo. Now, when the police arrived on the scene, they, as well, were horrified, having described the home as looking like something out of a horror movie. Mm -hmm. There was blood all along the floors and walls, in the kitchen, in the living room, and all the way up the stairs. Ascending the stairs, the upstairs corridor was just as horrific. The bathroom was covered in blood, and then they entered each bedroom. They found nine-year-old Anne Boleyn's body lying in bed. She had been stabbed in the heart. They found Claudia Maria's bed next to Anne bed, but it was empty. They then went into the next room and found six-year-old Alfredo lying in his bed. He was dead, and his left hand had been amputated. The last room the police entered was the master bedroom, and there they found 11-year-old Claudia Maria's bloodied body lying on the king-size bed. She had been stabbed over half a dozen times. Holy shit. And there, in that bedroom, lying next to Claudia Maria, was her mother, was her mother? Her mother. <laughs> wow, you just <laughs> had to drop into the East Coast all of a sudden. I just had to go. You just had to, to break really, the tension. Just to yeah. break the tension with a good old East Coast accent. Yeah. You're so welcome. Yeah, they yeah. went up there to her room, and then they found her mother laying there right there next to her. Right there next to her. I'll tell you what, she yeah. was just right there in bed with her. Now, fun fact, you can actually get like East Coast dictionaries in all of the uh, trinket shops and gift shops all throughout the East Coast. It's called, it's called sure the Mutter Tongue. Oh, yeah. I'm sure mm-hmm. you can. Yeah, you definitely yeah. can. Right next to the Great Big C records, right? Oh, hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And the Anne Murray albums. Totally. And uh-huh. they have tape versions of them all. Yeah, they yeah. do. Because the average age of their clientele is dead. All right. right. So, Perfect. moving on. Moving on. Back to the story. So, the police, they're at the scene 
scene of this crime. They find Maria, or sorry, they find Claudia Maria's body dead in bed and her mother lying next to her. Mm -hmm. Initially, they thought that Claudia was also dead, but when they checked for a pulse, they found that she was alive. She was just kind of lying in this catatonic state. So an ambulance was called and Claudia was taken to a nearby hospital. And then the bodies of Alfreda, Anna Blin, Claudia Maria were picked up by the coroner and the house was taped off and an investigation went underway. Mm-hmm. So first they talked to Veronica Vasquez, who described her friendship with Claudia. She explained that Claudia had called her earlier that morning in distress, claiming to be hearing voices. Now, Veronica explained that she knew about Claudia's relationship with her husband, Alfredo, and that they had had a fight earlier on the day prior and that they were in the process of separating. Mm-hmm. So apparently Claudia and Alfredo had gone to couples counseling, but it did little to save the relationship as Claudia was allegedly in love with somebody else, Pastor Ramon, who was a priest at the Catholic school that Claudia worked at. Oh, Pastor Ramon. Pastor Ramon. If you're nasty. Right? I know. <laughs> Fall in love with a priest. You always want the men you can't get, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, Claudia had been working at the Catholic school for several years at this point. When her parents died in the late 1970s, she inherited a large sum of money that allowed her family to move from the small town Mazatlan, I believe it's called, to the much larger Quiritero city. And by now, they had already given birth to their eldest daughter, Claudia Maria, who was just an infant at the time. Now, in Quiritero city, Alfred was able to open up a clothing shop, and Claudia was able to pick up a shift at his shop from time to time, although her primary work was as a catechism, ethics, and religious teacher at the Catholic school where she ended up meeting Pastor Ramon. That sounds riveting. No (laughs) wonder she needed to have an affair to spice things up. (laughs) Right, yeah. Yeah. There's nothing like catechism that makes you go, woo! (laughs) Totally, (laughs) yeah. Nothing makes you clear off the deck quicker than the catechism. Exactly. Except maybe the Eucharist. (laughs) Maybe just that. Yeah. Now, in 1980, Claudia and Alfredo gave birth to their second child, daughter Anna Boleyn, and in 18... Sorry, in 1983, they gave birth to their youngest child and only son, Alfredo. Mm -hmm. Now, up until this point, Claudia had lived a rather normal life. Growing up, she had no worries. She was the youngest of seven children. She had parents who did very well in life. And upon passing, they left her a substantial inheritance. And she didn't even have to kill them for it. She just got it. Whoa. It's nice how that works sometimes. You don't have to plot a murder around somebody's life insurance policy. You don't have to feed them to tigers. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, not like that bitch Carol Baskin, (laughs) allegedly. Allegedly. Thank you so much. Oh, oh my God. Please (laughs) don't come for us. Right. And of course, with that inheritance, their family was able to relocate to the big city. Yeah. Um, But it was there when things started to get complicated. The police, knowing this, interviewed Alfredo, and he described his relationship with Claudia better than Veronica could. So by the early 1980s, Alfredo and Claudia began to take couples counseling. And according to Alfredo, Claudia began to exhibit psychological problems. Alfredo described shifts in her personality, that she would become more irritable and more unpredictable, which put a strain on the relationship as a whole. Alfredo said that couples counseling did little to save
save their relationship, especially when Claudia started to exhibit feelings for her co-worker, Pastor Ramon. Oh. She started making claims that she was in communication with angels, which became the last straw for Alfredo, who, after years of trying to save their relationship, moved out of the house, leaving his children with Claudia. Now, it's worth noting that Alfredo didn't straight up run away. He was still very present in the lives of his children. Mm -hmm. He'd pick them up from school, spend afternoons, evenings, weekends with them. Basically, all the time that he could afford, he spent with them. And according to Alfredo, he did the best he could to be present in their lives. He even at a point tried to rekindle his marriage, but according to him, Claudia just continued to reject him. She was just too busy gossiping with the angels. Exactly. She was asking the angels, and they said no. Oh, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Only works if you're Patty Smith. Exactly. Yeah. Now, authorities asked Alfredo about his last interaction with Claudia on April 23rd, the day before his children were found dead. And Alfredo admitted that they had had an argument. He said he had made another attempt to rekindle their relationship, that he had confronted Claudia about the alleged relationship with Pastor Ramon, which was actually never confirmed so much as I could tell. So maybe the feelings weren't reciprocated. No one ever asked Pastor Ramon. Um, she just had a notebook with his name written all over it. Exactly, with hearts. Yeah. yeah. Mrs. Pastor Ramon. Yeah. yeah, with hearts and that those cool S's. Totally. Yeah. 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 Pastor, just the one S in Pastor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, I like that. Right? That's yeah, that's way more hip. Yeah, That'd be like if he were one of the Ramones. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I just like to imagine him from here on in in like a black leather jacket, <laughs> jeans with like a black mop hair. Right. But just like Joey Ramon, but as a priest. Yeah. Uh-huh. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be here for that. Can you just imagine going to church with Joey Ramone? I would go to church. Yeah. Rock mm-hmm. and roll confession. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Now, ultimately, their last interaction, the interaction that Claudia and uh, Alfredo had, ended in a fight, which then ended in Claudia slamming the door in his face after telling him that he would be sorry. Oh, Mm-hmm. Now, on April 27th, 1989, so three days after the murders took place, investigators were finally able to talk to Claudia about what had happened that night. Now, she had been essentially unresponsive up until that point, and when they asked her what had happened to her children, Alfredo, Claudia Maria, and Anna Boleyn, she had told them that they were sleeping upstairs in their bed. She said that they were very good children and that they did not misbehave and that she loved them very much. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, the detectives kind of had that same response. They found yeah. this very alarming because she didn't seem to show any awareness of what had happened to her children. Yeah, so I can imagine them being like, so uh, can you explain the blood then, Claudia? Uh-huh. And she's yeah. like, painting. Yeah, what blood? Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. For real. Mm-hmm. You see blood on these walls, but I see opportunity. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a Rorschach test. Totally. But like, <laughs> everywhere. Get to know yourself, baby. <laughs> Fall into these walls. Uh-huh. It's psychedelic. Right, yeah. yeah. Get to know yourself. <laughs> exactly. So obviously, based on this response, the authorities became suspicious, and they started to believe that maybe they didn't need to look any further for their suspect. Mm-hmm. And so once Claudia was sedated, they decided to handcuff her to her hospital bed just in case. Now, her first real statement came when she blamed the death of her children on Father Ramon. 
She said that he spoke to her telepathically. And she also claimed that her husband, Alfredo, spoke to her telepathically. And trying to get back with her and this interference of their voices in her head were causing her to lose control. Yeah, I mean, a three-way call is enough to make anyone go wild, you right? know? Yeah, especially when your voices sound kind of the same over the totally. phone. Totally. Like, who's talking right Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, upon giving her second statement, Claudia changed her story. She said she remembered nothing and that it was Veronica's knock on the door that woke her up in the morning of the murders. And like before, Claudia spoke as if her children were alive. <laughs> she's like, ask Veronica. Right. I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. So she's just all over the place. They're not getting any kind of clear story and the media started to catch on to this and they started to publish the story and they began to refer to Claudia as the hyena of Kirataro. So that's where the name came from. And in the court of public opinion, Claudia was already guilty. Everybody was like, she killed her kids. Why a hyena though? You know what? I don't really know. I don't know where that came from. Like, was she laughing? Like, maybe? That's just, that seems like a dig, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it sounds sensational, so uh, the media's I mean, gonna run with it, right? Yeah, you could have called her, like, the T-Rex, you know? <laughs> right. Something just with way more, you know, Hollywood to it. Yeah. Razzle-dazzle. Right. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta sell it. Yeah. I think it's just because hyenas is kind of like, you know, just a primal animal just sure. like ravaging kind of just brutal because the, the, the murders were pretty brutal uh, that's where it yeah. comes from uh, i can see that yeah mm-hmm. i mean sure exactly so the media was like she did it but the authorities on the other hand were still trying to figure out how to proceed with this case they mm-hmm. didn't necessarily believe that she didn't do it but they also needed more information just to navigate how they were going to proceed legally. So based on the evidence collected, police believed that Claudia had killed her children, but they didn't have a motive, and that's something that they needed. So based on the information collected thus far, authorities eventually agreed that Claudia needed to undergo psychiatric testing. Now, Claudia was examined at length by psychiatrists and neurologists, and these lengthy tests eventually resulted in the conclusion that Claudia was suffering from schizoaffective disorder and temporal lobe epilepsy. So schizoaffective disorder could have caused Claudia to suffer from delusions, hallucinations, confusion, disorganized thought processes and behavior, while temporal lobe epilepsy could result in vision changes, abnormal movements, and even blackouts, Mm -hmm. which all of this could explain everything that had happened then. Totally. Now, after her medical evaluation, legal parties agreed that a criminal trial would not be appropriate in this case. And the authorities believe that Claudia was guilty of having committed triple filicide, but they don't believe she committed the act with a sound mind. So they pushed to have Claudia incarcerated into a psychiatric hospital. Mm -hmm. Now, pushing the investigation forward, authorities were able to determine more or less what had happened that night. So they determined that around 4 a.m., Claudia woke up to the sound of voices, believing them to be the voices of angels and demons. She's like, guys, it's too late for a slumber party right now. Exactly. Mom's going to hear us. You're going to get in trouble. You can't have any more bagel bite. Gotta get out of here, man. (laughs) Yeah. So as she laid in bed and these voices were going on, the voices more than likely got louder, which would have made it impossible for her to fall asleep, which would have been around the time in which she would have called Veronica 
Monica for help, who, as we know, told her she'd be by later on that morning. Mm -hmm. Now, around 5 a.m., authorities believe, after getting off the phone with Veronica, that Claudia got dressed and then went downstairs into the kitchen where she grabbed three knives, one for each child. They believe that the voices in her head were urging her to kill her children and that each kill needed to be done with a separate knife. Now, some speculate that she believed her children were evil, demonic, but no one knows for sure the rationale behind why she did what she did next. Now, ascending the stairs, Claudia first went into six-year-old Alfredo's room. She woke him up and then pinned him down and then started slicing into his arm with a kitchen knife until his left hand had been amputated. The screams would have woken up 11-year-old Claudia Maria, who ran to his room. When she saw what was happening, she began screaming, begging her mother to stop, and then Claudia would have then stabbed Alfredo fatally before picking up another knife and attacking Claudia Maria, stabbing her six times, puncturing her lungs, but not killing her. It would have been at this point that Claudia Maria's screams woke the nearby neighbors, yet no one ever called the police or checked in on the family at that time. So later, people reported hearing noises and screams in the night, but no one did anything. Fun. Mm-hmm. Live with that. Yeah. You know what I mean, like, that's some heavy fucking guilt. Well, yeah, and I mean, those would not be the kind of screams where you'd be going, oh, they're just playing in the middle of the night. Like, that's screaming bloody murder. Literally. Fuck. So after stabbing Claudia Maria, Claudia went into the girl's bedroom where she fatally stabbed nine-year-old Anna Bennett in her heart, and they believed that there was no struggle, there was no sign of evidence, so maybe she was still asleep. After killing Anna, Claudia would have then gone downstairs, chasing after Claudia Maria, where she found her passed out on the floor. Claudia then would have stabbed her daughter one more time, killing her, and then dragged her body up the stairs and onto the bed of the master's room. It's believed that after that, Claudia went back downstairs, washed two of the three knives before going upstairs to sleep next to Claudia Maria's body, before eventually being woken up by Veronica's knocks at the door hours later. Now, there are some reports that Claudia had tried to take her own life by slashing her wrists with one of the knives, but I couldn't find any verification out of that outside of one of my sources. I will say most of the sources in regards to this case are written in Spanish, mm-hmm. so there are only a few English sources I could get, and only one of them mentioned that fact. So I'm putting that in there, but skeptically. Yeah, take it with a grain of salt. Exactly. So after this investigation was finished by the police and they determined what had likely happened, Claudia would be formally sentenced to 30 years incarceration in 1991, which was actually the minimal sentencing in Mexico for a crime such as this. Uh And she was then transferred to a maximum security facility for the criminally insane. So she would be getting out sometime soon. Yes, her 30-year incarceration would have started in 1989, which meant that she was eligible for release in 2019. Oh. And there's not a lot of information about it, but Claudia was apparently released from prison in April of 2019. No, ma'am. So I think she's about 64 at this point in time, and she is out and she is free. Uh. Now, she was released into the care of her relatives, and I believe the judge had a stipulation that she had to maintain like medical monitoring mm-hmm. so she had to keep visiting like healthcare professionals and things like that so she's not just out free and nobody knows where she is she totally. is being monitored and helped and kind of being um they're just kind of determining how she's going to cope with this 
re- release totally freedom, if she can if she can take it yeah and i mean like hey i got nothing against rehabilitation like that can be a thing like i'm not closing off that conversation by any means you know but yeah holy fuck I, I, that's just a lot to come back from it's a lot to come back from you're gonna get public scrutiny forever yeah. because three kids were killed yeah your own kids your own kids yeah. and mental health clearly is involved in this and it's to blame and if she didn't suffer from those illnesses she probably wouldn't have done what she did yeah she wasn't necessarily herself in those moments but she did do it and people people don't understand mental health and people are going to look at that and be like she murdered three kids she should never be released Mm -hmm. other people will look at that and be like maybe she should be given a chance to kind of rehabilitate and, and and find a place in society yeah it's complicated it's very complicated there are two sides of the argument we could argue them all day yeah because, I mean, in one sense, you're kind of pleading a case of, like, temporary insanity. Exactly. Like, not the word I would use for it, but mm-hmm. kind of legally, that's how they would look at it. Exactly. I get you. And that was kind of the umbrella of the law in which she was tried under. Okay. Now, nobody knows exactly where she is living today, except the people who need to know, and that's probably a good thing. But the home in which the murders took place still stands today. And it's remained abandoned ever since the murders occurred. It's now really vandalized. It's been broken into many, many times. It's in a big state of disrepair, and it's been sold over and over and over again. But it's also just become a really morbid tourist attraction for people. Like, people specifically go there to look at the house because it's alleged that it is haunted, of course. There have actually been paranormal investigators who have gone in and filmed investigations in the house. People have reported that there are sightings of children within the house looking through the window, Mm -hmm. daughters in bloody gowns, disembodied sound of children laughing, children screaming, all of those things that you can imagine that would come along with a haunted house in which three kids were murdered. They're always laughing, aren't they? Or they're singing. Yeah. It's never just like how a kid would actually talk, right? Right. Because I imagine like a kid ghost, if I were to get one, Uh I'd get that one fucking kid ghost. Yeah. um, actually, I learned in school a few days ago that a stegosaurus <laughs> horns uh-huh. are actually... Yeah, like, yeah. that would be the kid I'd have. <laughs> right, yeah. So that's what you'd expect the kid ghost would be. Yeah, well, I just right? expect mm-hmm. something going, um... Yeah, like in doing a lot of upspeak, just whispering it on the wind. Right. You know? Yeah, you get a little ghost kid behind you just tapping you on the back, being like, can you help me wipe my bum? Excuse me, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can't pull up my pants. Can you help? <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. Where's yeah. my mom? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm hungry. Can you do an announcement uh-huh. that says that I am up at the front? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I know that. Yeah, all of those things. Also, not making fun of kids that legitimately go missing or anything like that. No, 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 no. I'm just, just talking about those kids that like lose sight of their mom for one second they like you know start looking at an end cap the kid doesn't see them mm-hmm. and then they're like running up you know yeah i was that kid yeah. we were that kid we were yeah. all that kid we've all been that kid lost in the department store with our parents name being paged yeah. because we've gone up to some worker just panic being like i can't find my mom yeah totally uh-huh. yeah and, we've all been that kid and some of us just need a little bit more attention than others yeah. so sometimes <laughs> yeah just kidding yeah sociopathic kid. yeah Whatever, no, it's me, whatever. Mm-hmm. We're cool. Yeah. Actually. But, uh, 
But all of that to say, this house has kind of grown beyond the actual real-life case and is now a notorious haunted place within Queretaro City. It's a spooky house with an incredibly tragic history, and a lot of people actually liken it to sort of the Amityville horror of Mexico. Oh, really? Just, just the, the, the way in which the murders went down is very similar to Robert DeFeo murdering his family in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. This talk of angels and demons, the haunted house being haunted by the spirits. There, there are correlations there. I mean, the house is apparently not built on a hellmouth, but who really knows? Maybe <laughs> no one's gone down to the basement. Nobody's perfect. Right, yeah. exactly. But with that, I want to give a shout out to my sources. Thank you to peoplepill.com for their entry on Claudia Mejangos and also uh, viraltab.news for their article, Priest Love Mom Who Killed demon kids released from jail published on may 1st 2019 by angela trajowski or trajowska and there was also a lot of talk i will say about claudia being a beauty queen in some of the media that i read but it seemed like if she was it was just a brief moment in her teen life Mm -hmm. not really relevant to the story but people seem to pick that out as a sensational headline when you're talking about this case yeah exactly um i also used wikipedia for a lot of the information because they translated a lot of the spanish media because there are so many articles written in spanish that were not accessible to me because i don't speak spanish that's fair Mm -hmm. but you like check the sources and stuff like that yeah for sure they're all just to like news articles but written in spanish and then last but not least thank you to Briefcase and Morris Media on YouTube for the informative videos on the case. I have to say that their take was a little bit more sensational, but I couldn't verify some of the information they provided, so it might be worth checking out if you want a slightly different take on the case. Love it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, yeah. thank you, Tyler. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Damn. Sad, right? Yeah, very sad. Yeah. I hope you've got something less sad. I don't. Great. Just get ready. All right. So, yeah, it's my turn then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really hate to break it to you. I, As our good friend Avril Lavigne or Melissa uh-huh. once said, <laughs> yeah. so much for my happy ending. Because, uh, yeah, we got, we got a pretty brutal one today to cap this off with. So, guess who I'm talking about today, Tyler? Uh, She's one of the most notorious serial killers, potentially in history. Uh I don't know if I'd really call her a serial killer, even though she gets lumped in with them a lot. I would say a torturess. A torturer. A a socialite. Not Elizabeth Bathory. A little bit more Creole flavor. Right, right. A bit more Cajun. Yeah, what's up? Uh Yeah, got a bit of Zatarans thrown on that. So I can already tell you know who I'm talking about, Mm -hmm. so I'm just going to spill the beans. This week, I am going to be talking about the one, the only, the legend herself, Madame Dauphine Lalaurie. Très iconique. Très iconique. Très French. Uh-huh. Very chic. If you're listening to this podcast, then chances are good you are a fan of The Strange, Dark, and Mysterious. And if that's true, then you're in luck. Because, once again, Mr. Ballin Podcast, Strange, Dark, and Mysterious Stories is available everywhere you get your podcasts. Each week on the Mr. Ballin Podcast, you'll hear new stories about inexplicable encounters, shocking disappearances, true crime cases, and everything in between. Like our recent episode titled White Dust. After a middle-aged couple failed to answer their daughter's messages and calls, 
The daughter drives the few hours to her parents' house to check on them, but after arriving and seeing both her parents' cars in the driveway, the daughter gets an uneasy feeling and just can't stomach going inside. To hear the rest of that story and hear hundreds more stories like it, follow Mr. Ballin Podcast on Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcasts. Prime members can listen early and ad-free on Amazon Music. The wait is over. So far, you're not losing. The only thing you're losing is my patience. Quickly, I see that. Bing! The queen of the courtroom is back. I didn't do anything. You wouldn't know the truth if it came up and slapped you in the face. I see he's not intimidated by anything. I can fix that. New cases. She wanted to fight me. Leave her alone. Okay, so, um... Not, this is not a so. This is a period. Classic Judy. Did you sleep with her? Yes, Your Honor. You married his cousin. His brother. That's not him. Yes, ma'am. I would make a beeline for the door. The Emmy Award-winning series returns. How did I know that? I have crystal ball in my head. It's an all-new season. It's streaming. You can say anything. <laughs> Judy Justice. Only on Freebie. So I just want to say a big thank you, first of all, to Megan from the Secret Society for requesting this topic. Megan, with no H in Megan, may I add? Thank you so much. This one's for you, baby. And if you want to be like Megan and you want to suggest a topic for us to do on the show here, you can join the Secret Society, I think, at the Cryptid Kardashian tier, and yeah. that's one of the perks that's rolled in. Mm -hmm. And that's at patreon.com slash thatspooky. Ding dong, darling. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about Delphine Lalaurie. Let's do it. So we're going to hop around a little bit in terms of timeline, but just trust me on this one. It'll make sense. Right, like Alyssa Edwards, you're switching it up. Exactly, mm -hmm. and I'm running around the studio doing high kicks and uh -huh. dipping, yeah. yeah. All right, so the drama basically pops off on April 10th of 1834 when there was a large fire at a palatial residence on Royal Street in New Orleans, Louisiana. Mm -hmm. Now, this mansion was the home of Madame Delphine Lalaurie. Now, she was a well-known Creole socialite around New Orleans. She lived in the home with two of her daughters and a number of slaves that the family, uh, quote-unquote, owned. Uh -huh. But we're going to say kidnapped. Yeah. Because, you know, just a heads up, no human being truly owns another human being. Mm -hmm. uh, and just a heads up, we will be talking about slavery today. I know that for some people it's a little bit of a touchy subject, but it is something in the recent history, and it has a lot to do with this story so just a heads up we will you know be talking about that as part of this discussion now like I was saying there was a fire at this mansion Madame Delphine Lalaurie was in the house her husband was there at the time but they were kind of split so it was a little bit questionable why he was there his name was Leonard Lalaurie he was a well-known doctor in the area okay and her two daughters as well as a number of people who worked at the home and this fire was a rager so police and firefighters arrived at the scene and they they began working trying to extinguish it while other you know people from the neighborhood started to band together and you know tried to create some sort of recovery effort you know support the firefighters in any way possible also all tea the 
this is 1834, and as we've discussed in the past, firefighting was a little bit of the Wild West back in the day. Yeah, so I'm sure they were wild. just like, anybody, come on in. We'll give you a hat. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, give us a bucket. Run into that fire, please. <laughs> yeah, so basically, the family was found safe after not that much time, but there were still a number of slaves that were left unaccounted for. Uh-huh. So the neighbors and the firefighters asked Delphine where the slaves were, and, you know, you know we're going to try to go help them or something like that. But they were more or less told to mind their own business. Delphine supposedly said, never mind the servants, save my valuables. This way, gentlemen, this way. What a fucking bitch. Yeah, and really not a good sign. Period. So, according to some, there were also some faint screams that were coming from the home. So this made things even more suspect uh-huh. and made things, you know, even more heightened. Basically, regardless of the lack of assistance from the Lalauries, the neighbors and the firefighters were just like, well, fuck you, then we're going to go in there and save those people. Mm-hmm. Now, when they get into the house, at first, you know, on the main floor, they're looking around for people. They're not hearing the screams directly coming from that floor, but they do hear something in the kitchen. So they go in there and they find a woman chained to the fucking stove. Uh-huh. Yeah, like it was the cook for the house. She was a slave and she was a 70-year-old woman and she was chained by her ankle to the stove. So they managed to cut her off and rescue her. Right. Now, this is pretty fucked up in and of itself. And right away, people have questions. They are only able to find one servant, though. So ultimately, they go back to the Lullery family and they're like, hey, we need the keys to the quarters where the slaves live in the home and they're just like no not gonna help you right now trigger warning we are about to talk about some gnarly shit like torture so just a heads up if this isn't you know what you signed up for feel free to skip ahead like maybe a minute or two but basically the neighbors and the police officers slash fire people just kind of go back into the house and they're like cool if they're not gonna help us then we're gonna have to try to find these people and they start searching And ultimately, by following the screams through the house and, you know, finding nobody in all the rooms on the main floor, Mm -hmm. they ultimately make their way up to the attic where they bust down the locked door to the slaves' quarters. And this is when they come across a really grisly sight. So in that room that was locked at the top of the house, which is on fire, there were seven people chained up. All of them were black slaves. They were chained by their necks. Some of them were mutilated. They were cut. They had limbs pulled in extremely uncomfortable positions. Essentially, they were contorted into place and Mm -hmm. shackled. Most of them were put in spiked collars so that their heads were kept in certain positions so that they couldn't, you know, move around or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Now, all of them were emaciated. They were too weak to walk properly or really properly communicate with the people, especially given the circumstance. Like, you know, they're chained up in a house on fire. Yeah. There's a a lot of issues stacking up atop a lot of issues right now. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of them also had really deep lacerations on their bodies from being whipped excessively. All of them were just, you know, in a really bad spot. And two of them were actually locked up in cages, which is even more fucking dehumanizing. If you could think of a way to make this even worse. Yeah. And they had basically been left up there for months. Now, at this point, there wasn't a lot of time to ask questions, but the police just work on, you know, getting them taken 
taken down from their shackles and their restraints and getting them out of the house. And luckily, they were able to get all seven chained up slaves out of the attic without, you know, the fire fucking them up. Good. That's good. Yeah. So who the fuck would do this to another human being? I mean, yeah. Let's go back in time a little bit then. Who is Madame Delphine LaLaurie, the person who runs this house? Mary Delphine McCarty was born on March 19th, 1787. She was born in New Orleans, which at the time was in Spanish Louisiana, and she was the daughter of Bartolome de McCarty and Marie-Jean Lerable. Sue me. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Come for me, Marie-Jean. All right. So she was born to a high society family that then came over to New Orleans from Ireland in the 1730s. There's a little bit of lore surrounding why they came over from Ireland exactly, but essentially, from my understanding, Delphine was the first generation of her family to be born in America. Right. Yeah. So she came from a very noble white family, which meant, you know, because of their ranking in society and all that kind of stuff, and the of money that they had and land that they had quite a connection to slavery which is French for they had a shitload of slaves. Uh Now aside from white people being historically you know the absolute fucking worst some people wondered where Delphine's especially brutal regard for slaves came from. Right. You know like the landscape at the time was not good there was a lot of blood on a lot of people's hands but Delphine was like Carrie. Right. Yeah it's like if you're making the bad people look good, then you're real bad. Yeah, if you're acting as a foil to those folks, uh-huh. yeah, you're really doing it wrong. Now, historians have pointed to Delphine Lullery's family's history with slavery. A lot of people believe that maybe she was just raised in a home that was a little bit of a pressure cooker that had a lot of hatred in it, and then, you know, that plus a few other environmental things that we'll talk about a little bit later kind of brought her to the point that she was at. Mm-hmm. Because it was said in 1771 that Delphine Lullery's uncle had been murdered by his slaves in a little bit of an uprising. Now, like I was saying, this could have caused her to be raised with a really extreme attitude towards slaves, and outside of her family, at the time that she was being raised, it was a very tumultuous time in the history of slavery. Uh-huh. There were revolutions happening at the time. In 1791, when Delphine was four years old, the Haitian Revolution occurred, where a bunch of self-liberated Haitian slaves stood up against colonial rule. Yep. This caused a lot of concern for North American slave kidnappers because essentially they were afraid that the people, you know, that they had stolen and shipped over to America would learn about all of this and then try to exercise their own autonomy, which in turn meant that mass attitudes towards slaves at the time among these kidnappers became even more brutal because they were trying to keep them under their thumb even more. Yeah, right. Yeah. So... People point to that, paired with other slave revolutions that were happening. You know, there was one in 1811 when La Lurie was a little bit older. Basically, they're just like, the landscape at the time wasn't good. She was in a really aggressive house. And this, you know, kind of led Delphine to have these internalized aggressions and hatreds that played out later on in her life. Right. Now, her adult life was actually pockmarked with marriages. Ooh, 
poetic. Ooh. Call John Steinbeck. He can have that one. Hot yeah. mark, excuse you. Yeah, I know, right? And uh-huh. I even spelled it right the first time. What does it even mean? It just means, like, peppered with, you know? Ooh, okay. Like, you know, like when dad ass is pockmarked. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, with yeah. dimples. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, her first <laughs> husband, she married on June 11th, 1800. He was a man named Don Ramon de Lopez Iangulo. Uh, he was an awarded Spanish royal officer. He was a lauded, all that kind of stuff. But unfortunately, her marriage to Don Ramon did not last for very long. He died in 1804 in Havana. He was on a trip, I think, to Madrid. And Delphine at the time was pregnant with their first child, Marie Borgia Delphine Lopez Iangolo de la Candelaria. Wow, she yeah. had a lot of time to think of that name. She did, mm-hmm. but guess what her name was? What? Borkita. Borkita? I love that. I love that. that yeah, come on, Borky. All right, so <laughs> back in New Orleans, though, uh-huh. like with all of this happening, Delphine is now a single mother. Now she and Borkita are just out there living their life, eating, praying, loving, and Delphine ends up marrying a second man in 1808. So just a few years afterward. But basically, she had gotten her groove back with a man named Jean Blanc. Jean Blanc. That's hot. Uh-huh. What's up? Now, they <laughs> lived in a very well-appointed villa, and I'm always looking for an excuse to say that. A well-appointed villa. They lived in a well-appointed villa. This is, like, equal parts, like, telenovela and, I don't even know, like, dynasty? Yeah, kind of. Uh-huh. Yeah, but yeah. in the American South. But in the American South, yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess dynasty is. Is Dynasty in the American South? I have to say, I've actually never watched a full episode of oh, Dynasty. Oh, man, we're going to get some emails. Have you watched a full episode of Dynasty? No. Mm. Damn. All mm-hmm. right, so... I would say we'd get our gay card revoked, but that doesn't exist. That's not a thing. That's not a thing. No, don't gatekeep my sexuality just because I haven't seen a certain TV show or movie. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Mm-mm, that's lame. All right, so... They're drinking margaritas in the villa and loving their life. Married in June 1808, and Jean Blanc and Delphine Lalaurie ended up having four children together. Now, their children were named Marie-Louise Pauline, Louise-Marie-Laure, Marie Louise Jean oh and God. Jean Pierre Pauline Blanc. <laughs> <laughs> How well dare you? <laughs> right? Yeah. You might as well just name them you, you, and you. you exactly. Know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like, you took the time to name your home Villa Blanc. Uh-huh. Like, you're that extra. But you basically name your children, like, four different versions of the same three names. Yeah. Four names, maybe. Anyway, things are cute for a while between the whole family. They're loving life at Villa Blanc. Until Jean Blanc dies in 1816. Now, Delphine, back on the prowl. She now has five children, Borkita and the four. Now, she goes on to marry her. What? Yo, you like that. I like Borkita and the four. Borkita like, and yeah, the four. Yeah, let's take that on the road. Borkita and the four Blancs. Uh-huh, oh, I that, love oh that. Oh, my God. That's their group. And they yeah. all wear white in the background, and Borkita's the star. Right, yeah. yeah. You can tell she's the star because she's the one with the sparkly microphone. You do not name your child Borkita and not expect her to <laughs> be a star. Thank you very uh-huh, yeah. much. Yeah, no. So, Delphine, she's out there. She's love and life. She has a child band going on at home. It's great. Mm-hmm. Now, she ends up marrying her third husband, Leonard Louise Nicholas Lalaurie. She's got a thing for names. Yeah. Yeah. They marry on June 25th of 1825. 
It took me a moment there. Now, he is a young doctor, as I was saying. By that, I mean that he was, like, quite a few years her junior. I don't mean that it was, like, a Doogie Hauser situation going on. Right. But the two of them ended up buying a property at 1140 Royal Street in New Orleans and ended up, you know, building a two-story mansion there, which was completed by 1832. Now, this is the house that we have been talking about, honey, with the locked attic and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, maybe it was the construction that, you know, weighed heavy on the relationship. Maybe it was the personalities. Maybe Borkita was starting drama. Who knows? But the marriage ended up falling apart between Delphine and Leonard LaLaurie. But this was just shortly after the mansion was finished. Right. Now, like I was saying, Leonard was there on the day. So, the two of them split, but they still remained in contact. He was still hanging around the house. Things were a little bit uh, nebulous. It was more of a marriage of convenience at this point. Like, we built this big house. We might as well both share it. Exactly. But Delphine did officially file for separation on November 16th of 1832. She had claimed in the paperwork that, quote, he treated her in such a manner as to render their living together unsupportable. Mm -hmm. And this was actually confirmed on paper by her son and two of uh, the daughters that she had had with Jean Blanc that were living with them at the time. Now, some people have debated the finality of the separation, like I was saying, but we'll put that on the back burner for now. Who am I to investigate her love life? She has so many other things going on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't want to start rumors about Delphine Lollerie. No, no, no. You wouldn't want not to tarnish her reputation. Oh, how dare I? Now, it was actually said that when the fire took place in 1834, uh, Leonard Lollerie said to a judge named Jean-Francois Canon, who was there, you know, in the area trying to help, Uh quote, some people had better stay at home rather than come to other people's houses and dictate laws and meddle with other people's business. Excuse me? So it also (laughs) sounds like maybe he knew what was going on. Uh Yeah, and was playing a little bit of defense for Delphine at this point. But anyway, we'll get back to the fire very shortly. Sure. Now, once set up in the house in 1832, like once construction's complete, Delphine is there with her daughters and her son. But it's also said that around this time, maybe because Leonard for the last few years had been away from home so much, you know, doing his doctor thing, and they had been having a tumultuous relationship, maybe because of, you know, many other factors, Delphine started to become increasingly brutal with the staff that worked at the estate. Mm -hmm. So bad, in fact, it was said that her daughters from time to time would try to intervene, but then they too would be punished for trying to step in or trying to feed the slaves that Delphine was starving and beating. Now, there are some mixed takes on this. Generally speaking, it was said that all of LaLaurie's slaves seemed excessively disheveled. A lot of people said that they looked haggard in person. But in contrast, it was also said that Delphine was known to be very polite to black people in public. It was also brought up later in court records that Delphine had freed two of the home slaves, one of them Jean-Louis in 1819, and then the second one, De Vince, in 1832. Although, as it turns out, the first one, uh, Jean-Louis, was due to a request that was in a will. Basically, it was somebody's dying wish for this one particular person to be freed. Okay. And then uh, they believe that De Vince was likely because he had gotten to a certain age and he had had, you know, an outstanding record of employment, in quote-unquote, uh-huh. of kidnapping through his time working with the family. So ultimately, as, you know, a nicety, they released him in his elder years. So I guess this was etiquette at the time or something like that. Right. But a lot of people now just believe that that was kind of for show. But 
But regardless of her efforts, there were still rumors kind of spreading throughout the community of New Orleans in the early 1830s, late 1820s, that there was something up with how the Lullerys were treating their slaves. People noticed, you know, even though Delphine was playing real nice, everybody that worked at her home looked really, you know, beaten up and really disheveled. Like, there were just some things that were a little too outstanding. But I also just kind of love the idea of all of these slave owners having righteous indignation about how somebody else is treating their slaves uh-huh. like you are all pieces of shit like this is like tiger king we're say. all you know like doc Antle, joe exotic and that bitch carol baskin are all like pointing their fingers at each other being like you're exploiting cats you're exploiting cats and it's like none of you are right yeah you're all objectively terrible yeah uh-huh. at the end of the day that's kind of what we learned from tiger king yeah. there doesn't always have to be a protagonist no yeah truly but this is kind of the thing people were just like things are not going right at the Lallery home, regardless of how much they're smiling in public. Right. And people cited some pretty freaky stuff. So folks who came by the house noticed that the home's cook was chained to the stove by the ankle. Right. You know, and that was a cause for alarm. Uh-huh. And then, you know, there also just so happened to be that room upstairs that nobody was allowed to go near or ask questions about. Now, those were the quarters that the slaves were locked up in and being tortured in. But I shouldn't really call them quarters because they weren't necessarily, you know, where everybody came to sleep at the end of the day. If you worked at the home, you knew that that was the room that if you went up to it, you never came down from it. Right. It was the place nobody wanted to go. Exactly. Now, the rumors were actually so rampant throughout the community of, you know, high society and stuff like that in New Orleans that the police ended up getting involved to do a welfare check of sorts at the Lullery Mansion. Now, this was in about 1832, I believe, but basically during the visit, a representative from, you know, local police came by and they reminded Delphine of the laws surrounding slave ownership. You know, they weren't able to really act on anything that they had heard about. And when they arrived at the mansion, they didn't really see anything out of place. But I don't believe that, you know, they went up to the locked room in the attic necessarily. Right. It was just one of those friendly reminders. Exactly. Uh They were just kind of popping in to remind them of the rules. Now, like I was saying, that was about 1832. There were actually other check-ins that were done in 1828 and 1829 because of the rumors that had been circulating in the area. Mm -hmm. So this wasn't any new news. Now, shortly after the visit in 1832, Delphine Lallery and her family found themselves in hot water once again in relation to the slaves being kept at the home. Now, it wasn't so much finding themselves in hot water again as much as it kind of just was diving headfirst into a (laughs) boiling pot of hot water. Which they turned on themselves. Yeah, no, they were not victims in any of this, Mm -hmm. the Lallerys. I mean, maybe the daughters in a way because they were kind of under the thumb of their mother and it seemed like she was oppressing them as well right you know in her own special way but yeah no there was a lot of blood on everyone's hands so delphine on that day in 1832 that i'm about to talk about was having her hair brushed by a 12 year old slave named leah now on this day everything's going fine but it was said that things took a turn for the worst when leah hit a snag in delphine's hair as she was brushing it which caused it to pull Now, Delphine, a full-grown-ass adult, dealt with a slight hair pull as a reasonable, emotionally grounded adult human being would. 
Of course, she grabbed a whip and started chasing young Leah through the home in an attempt to catch her and beat her senseless. What the fuck? Like, yeah. your scalp's not that sensitive, honey. No, but Delphine got an owie, and now she needs to get revenge on a 12-year-old. Right. Yeah. Like, don't blame the kid. Maybe we should blame your dirty-ass hair, Delphine. Right, yeah. Like, look, I'm not coming for people who get tangles in their hair. That happens. But if it's that serious, maybe you should consider showering and detangling your hair more than once a fortnight. Yeah, or comb your own hair. Don't exactly. make a 12-year-old do it. Yeah, or can somebody get this bitch a bottle of No More Tears shampoo? Thank you so because much. Because she obviously uh-huh. needs it. Yeah. yeah she because needs she can't the- handle life's little inconveniences. Right, she needs, like, that L'Oreal shampoo that's shaped like a little fish, which, by the way, is still going to make you cry if you get it in your eye. Yeah, totally. It's false marketing. Have you tried it out to see? I mean, no, I haven't, but it, just knowing kids, if they get anything in their eye, they're going to cry, even totally. if it doesn't hurt. Completely. It's like when you stub your toe and you go, ow, but it, it didn't actually hurt. Yeah, it's just reflex. Yeah. Exactly. I cry at a lot of things. I get it. (laughs) All right. So anyway, Leah is completely terrified by this obviously unhinged woman chasing her around with a whip. Uh And it was said in an attempt to lose her, she ended up being forced out onto the mansion's roof. Now, Delphine still chased her, cornering Leah until she fell off the roof Uh. to her death. Now, the Lollaries were just kind of like, uh, what do we do with this now? So they haphazardly bury Leah on the property. The thing was, this wasn't the first time something like this reportedly happened. Uh. It was also said that there was another man who was a slave or, you know, a kidnappee of the family who had supposedly jumped out of a third story window from the home instead of being subjected to torture. Right. I'm assuming at this point in time, the home wasn't as developed around because there's a lot of buildings around it nowadays. Mm -hmm. But I guess in the 1700s, maybe it's possible that people wouldn't notice people just randomly falling off of your roof into the street. Well, here's the thing. People noticed and reportedly uh, the window that this guy jumped out of was then covered over with concrete. Now, there is a concreted over window on the second story of the home. Okay. But I'm not 100% sure if that is historical fact or something that was embellished upon a little bit later on because as we will talk about a little bit later, this story has been embellished quite a bit. In right, the there's a lot books. of razzle-dazzle. Yeah, but basically, when Leah fell out the window in 1933, people took notice. The neighbors saw it happen, and they noticed the burial of the body. Uh-huh. Now... Leah's death leads to another investigation of the conditions at the LaLaurie mansion. And this time, things go a little bit differently. The family ended up being fined $300, and they were forced to forfeit the nine slaves that worked at the home. Now, this would have been all well and good, but unfortunately, those same nine slaves were ultimately bought back by someone in the family and then were reinstated at the Lullaree household. Yeah, so there was no running away for them, essentially. Right, because they just had money to throw around. Exactly. So the brutality continued throughout 1933 until one fateful day on April 10th of 1834 when the fire broke out. Now, we can actually thank the cook who was chained to the stove for setting the fire in the first place. But unfortunately, it was done as a suicide attempt. Oh. Yeah, because they were afraid, being 70 years old, that they were going to be deemed, you know, not useful anymore and soon sent up to the room. You know, that plus the fact that they were being constantly tortured and were chained to a stove that they had to work at day in, day out. Uh-huh. You know, basically they were just kind of at the end of their rope. So they set the fire, the house goes up, and then the whole neighborhood ends up getting involved. Now, after the fire and the removal of the slaves from the home, they were all taken away to a local jail for safekeeping.
keeping, but it was also opened up to the public so that people from the community who had heard about the horrors that were happening at the home could stop by the local jail and see for their very eyes. Oh my god, old-timey people are the worst kind of people. Yeah, well, and supposedly about 4,000 people ended up coming through the jail. Now, some people say 2,000, but still, it's in the thousands. Like, that's a lot of people just gawking. Right, and like, what are the people who are being held in the cells benefiting from this? <laughs> Nothing at all, but at least now they have their freedom in a sense and they're not being tortured anymore. Me now, too. unfortunately, it was said that two of the slaves ended up dying, you know, in the weeks following, you know, being removed from the household, either due to malnourishment, injuries, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at least they did get to taste freedom in a sense before the end. There, there's barely any silver lining here. I'm really sorry. But actually, you know what? Maybe I just spoke too soon because once word starts to spread throughout New Orleans of exactly what was happening at the LaLaurie household, mm-hmm. and once the fire was extinguished, a lot of people had a lot of questions for Madame Delphine LaLaurie and the whole family. So a mob of people started to form that was aimed toward the household. And this mob ran about 4,000 deep. Ooh, they wanted to have an angry salon. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. They, they were like, question and answer period opens now. Storm. Yeah. So basically, they stormed the LaLaurie home and they trashed the place. They broke every item that they could get their hands on. The police and a sheriff were ultimately called to the scene. But by the time law enforcement had arrived, it was said that barely anything existed outside of the walls of the home and the family was nowhere to be found. Now, with the LaLauries out of the picture, the days following the mob hitting the home and tearing it down, they did start to dig up the grounds and that is where they reportedly found the two skeletons, that of Leah and the man who had jumped out the second story window. Right. And ultimately, what was left of the Lullery home after that was destroyed in a fire caused by a mob later on in 1834. Now, roll back a little bit because with the news of the impending mob heading toward the home, this meant that Delphine kind of had to go into exile. Now, it's not exactly known where she went, but it's believed that she first went down to Mobile, Alabama via schooner. She probably like got some barbecue, packed up her shit, and then she went over to Paris, France and lived out the rest of her days. Now, it was said that Delphine lived out the rest of her days in exile in Paris, living with her two daughters and her son, Pauline. He did say in a letter to his brother-in-law, Auguste de la Zeus, or something like that, sue me again, that Delphine had considered plans to go back to New Orleans after being in Paris for a few years. Why? But uh, I don't know. Apparently, she didn't really understand why she wasn't able to go back. She didn't really understand why what she did was so horribly wrong. Like, she really just, nothing clicked for her. There was no moral compass. Exactly. Uh But apparently, by the suggestion of her children, she ended up staying put in exile and never rearing her head in, you know, the public light again. Now, no one is sure exactly how Delphine Lallery died while in exile. Oh. There are a number of stories that include that she had died in a boar hunting accident while in France. Oh, was she the boar? No, unfortunately, oh. <laughs> despite what one would think she wasn't. But what we do know is that sometime in the 1930s, a plate was discovered at the St. Louis Cemetery. I guess it was called St. Louis Cemetery Number 1. Uh-huh. Very utilitarian. Yeah. But the plate that was at a burial site read Madame Lallery born Marie Delphine McCarty died in Paris December 7th 1842 at the age of six hyphen hyphen 
Mysterious. Yeah, because I mean, nobody ever wants to tell their age, darling. Oh, right. Yeah. But why two hyphens? Why not just one that would suggest know. that she was like 600 years old? I Maybe mean, it's like the old-timey version of dot, dot, dot. Oh, right. Or yeah. like sometimes when you're typing in Word and you need to make a hyphen and you have to hit the dash twice. Yeah. And then sometimes it makes the hyphen and then sometimes it doesn't. You're yeah. like, why? Yeah. Why didn't it make the hyphen? You call Bill Gates and uh-huh. you're like, why have you betrayed me? Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah. So basically this pops up in a graveyard sometime in the 1930s. The person that runs the graveyard notices it and is like, okay, well, that was a thing. Mm-hmm. And then the French archives of Paris actually say that she died on December 7th of 1849, though, which would have made her 62 years old. So there is a little bit of, you know, question as to what was going on there. But due to the fire and the subsequent ransacking, the mansion does not remain in its original form today. It was rebuilt in 1838 by Pierre Trestor, who was an architect in the area, and the building has been occupied by a number of different people and organizations since. It has operated as a a school for girls, a music school, a youth home, a furniture store, a bar, and an apartment building, to name a few other things. But it was actually said that the house was also briefly owned by Nicholas Cage. Uh, He's bought it under a pseudonym or something like that in April of 2007, but unfortunately, the house was foreclosed upon in November of 2009, which led to the home being repurchased by a bank. Right. I mean, that would have been around the time that Nick Cage started doing all those terrible B-movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just so, gotta make that money somehow. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, I guess that money wasn't going to the Lollary home because uh-uh. it left his hands then. So, the fun thing about the house, though, is that it's actually considered one of the most haunted spots in all of Louisiana. Reportedly, the home is still haunted by the ghosts of the slaves who were tortured there, notably the ones who died on the property, including Leah and the man who jumped from the window. Mm-hmm. And reportedly, when the home was apartments, a tenant was found mysteriously murdered in his room in 1894. The murder was never solved. But according to people that knew the man who was murdered, he had been telling friends that he had been dealing with sprites lately. And also supposedly had said that there was something demonic in the home that would not rest until he was dead. So, yeah, not too many years after the Lullaries left the home and it was rebuilt, people were already starting to clock the, you know, the spirits and stuff like that, allegedly. Now, when the home was a school for girls, students claimed to be physically attacked by the ghosts from time to time. Now, these were reportedly six to seven-year-old students who would not have known who Delphine Lullarie was, but when asked by their teachers who was hitting them, they would always just say that woman. Ooh. Yeah. And people who stand in front of the home still, you know, like during ghost tours and stuff like that, sometimes say that they feel like they're being taken over by a negative energy. But that can also just be some people who are full of shit and need attention. All right. tea. Uh-huh. Now, there was also a tour guide who was giving a tour near their home who said that they felt a tugging on their messenger bag. They actually thought that somebody was trying to pickpocket them and then they swatted the, you know, unseen hand away. But there was nothing. And reportedly, this happened like four more times throughout the night in front of, you know, their group of people. And, you know, it was witnessed by a ton of folks. Right. And there's always, a, you know, a bunch of other stories like that that kind of exist surrounding the home. Now, it has not been open to the public, I think, since 1932. So when people do ghost tours, it's usually on the perimeter of the home, like out on the grounds. But they say that because of, you know, the bodies that were buried out there and stuff like that, the sidewalk is just as spooky-ooky as getting in. Right, yeah, the spooky-ooky era goes on and on. Or I guess aura, not era. But maybe era, you know, what would be the spooky era? 
if you were to define one. I guess ghosts are mostly old timey, like the yeah, Victorian I would say the era. spiritualist era, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, totally. Like the late eighteen hundreds into the early nineteen hundreds. Yeah. Now it has been said, like with all of this in mind, that the Lullery home since Delphine Lullery has not been occupied by any tenant for more than six years, and supposedly this has something to do with the hauntings. It's just too wild for people, and they're too freaked out to talk about it. Fair enough. But don't worry because they will get their day soon. Because it was said that the building was purchased recently by a guy named Michael Whalen, who allowed access uh, to a company called Faster Horse Productions to. Create create a movie about the Lullery Mansion uh, with the creators of the Conjuring franchise. Oh, hello. Yeah, James so, Wan. Yeah, so mm-hmm. get ready for a whole host of bad movies in the Lullery <laughs> universe. <laughs> right, Because yeah. you're going to be getting them over the next 10 years. Yeah, I'm you sure. didn't like La Llorona, well, you're going to like La Lullery. Yeah, well, uh-huh. and I mean, why not? Because Delphine Lullery has become a pretty well-known serial killer or, like, kind of morbid figure from history. I wouldn't necessarily call her a serial killer because she doesn't operate in the same way. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it is what it is, Santa. Yeah, she you need just, something snappy. Right, yeah. She was just a brutal, brutal gal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, Delphine's story ended up spreading far and wide after it happened because of local news reports. It was immortalized in folklore, stories, and stuff like that. It was written about in books and, you know, kind of traveled very quickly. Some do say that the stories of the slaves' torture, though, were embellished quite a bit. Okay. And, again, trigger warning, like, I'm just going to give you a little bit of a laundry list here, so skip ahead 15 or 20 seconds if you don't want to hear it. But supposedly, the things that people would say that Lullery did would include ripping off fingernails, gouging out uh-huh. eyeballs, creating festering holes in bodies that that they allowed maggots to go Ooh. into, uh, allowing people to... Not allowing people, but basically people would say that this people were found upstairs with limbs hanging off, intestines strewn out of their living bodies and then wrapped around the body. Oh my gosh. Other people reportedly had their mouths filled with animal excrement and then were sewn back up. Oh no. And uh, there were also accounts of people having all their bones broken and being reshaped as a human crab. There was also supposedly another person who had their skin flayed and their bones broken so that they would resemble a caterpillar. The thing is, a lot of that bullshit ends up dating back to a 1945 account written by someone named Jean Delavine in a book called Ghost Stories of Old New Orleans. Oh. Which makes a lot of claims that were never cited or backed up. Right. In all of the original accounts of the story, it was kind of what I initially said. You know, they were chained up, they were, you know, put in really horrible positions, they couldn't move and stuff like that. But it wasn't necessarily like the hostile levels of torture that people usually associate with this story. Yeah, this wasn't the prequel for Human Centipede. Exactly. Now, there is another collection of local ghost and vampire stories from 1998 that further embellished the stories to include the people being flayed and actually this is where the broken bones uh, that were reset to make people look like crabs and caterpillars supposedly come into play but again unsubstantiated no sources given everything that was written by people who were in the room in the house or in the area at the time within the first you know 50 to 100 years after this happened Mm -hmm. didn't go that far now it was said that some bodies were recovered from the 
house that weren't accounted for. Some people say up to 100 bodies, but again, the only official document that they had were the two bodies that they uncovered on the grounds after the house was uh, demolished. Uh-huh. But regardless of the historical accuracy of this, most contemporary retellings of the story tend to include these details. So they tend to go like super brutal in terms of the torture, and then they allude to the fact that there were hundreds of bodies, when in reality there were seven people who were recovered from the upstairs room, and then that one 70-year-old woman who was chained to the stove downstairs. Right, so it's all speculative, and I mean... It- regardless of like this whole resetting bodies and and turning people into human caterpillars and all that stuff the initial accounts are brutal enough exactly Uh uh-huh no totally and if you are kind of wondering about the timeline here because i'm really accounting for eight people that were rescued from the home and like i was saying before they had nine slaves that were reinstated into the home i do believe that that uh, ninth person was the gentleman who was let off for good behavior and his elderly age around 1832 or so so that's kind of how that shook down but again like there is concrete evidence of a certain amount of people who were in the home that this was happening to but much like the elizabeth bathory story this has been embellished over time basically to create this image of delphine lullery as a complete monster she was a monster but she wasn't mythical she was very human Mm -hmm. and ultimately the truth falls between these accounts somewhere you know there are people who try to go back and look at it and make it look like Delphine Lullery is completely exonerated and all of this and did nothing. I think that is a little bit extreme. Um, but like I said, what I presented earlier on is the closest thing that I believe to like what truly happened that day or what was discovered that day. Right. In these wild retellings, there are some other claims that Leonard Lollery was actually the person who was doing all of this to the slaves in the home. Uh, Supposedly, he was getting really into Haitian voodoo, and the torture was ultimately experiments that he was doing to create the most subservient and docile slave possible, like trying to zombify people. And then folks, you know, kind of cite him as the main catalyst in all the brutality. But really, I feel like that's also just kind of weaving in this weird attitude that people have toward voodoo and stuff like that, just to make the story kind of more spicy and sexy. Right, yeah. Yeah. Now, speaking of spicy and sexy, the story recently kind of popped back up into public consciousness through American Horror Story in the coven season. Delphine Lollery was a featured player. Like, she was, I think, in just about every episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was played by Kathy Bates, and Kathy Bates did a really good job. I mean, if you have not watched American Horror Story Coven yet, watch that. It's worth it but apparently very historically inaccurate. (laughs) Very historically inaccurate. But, you know, it is kind of fun if you do want to see Delphine Lullery get some sort of comeuppance because she does get it in that series. Mm -hmm. And in life, she never really did get it. She never really understood what she did was wrong, and she just kind of got to live out the rest of her days in Paris. Right, which is kind of brutal because I have to say, like, my first introduction to her really was through her as a character on American mm-hmm. Horror Story and just reading accounts and just reading little things I've never gone deep into her history. I thought she did get some kind of punishment in the end, but it doesn't sound like she really did. No, she was driven out of her home in Louisiana. She went on the run and then basically got to live out her days in ignorance. Right. Yeah. Which sucks. It does. And that is the story of Madame Delphine Lalaurie. Oh. It fucking sucks. It really does. Yeah. yeah. 
it, it's kind of like the Tiger King. There's not that moment where you're like, yes. Yeah. You're just like, ooh. That's why you should watch icky. American Horror Story Coven, because you get to see her get her comeuppance. Right. And yeah, it's pretty funny. Now, thank you to our sources, or thank you to my sources, actually. They're all mine, baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bergproperties.com for the article, Nicolas Cage buys house in New Orleans, French Quarter, for $3,450,000 by Bob Goldsboro, okay. written in April of 2007. Thank you to findagrave.com for their entry on Marie Delphine Lullerie. Thank you to All Things Interesting for Madame Lullerie's Most Sickening Acts of Torture and Murder, written by Katie Serena in October of 2017. Thank you to Vice for their article, A Portrait of Cruelty, Madame Marie Delphine Lullerie, written by, I don't know, because it just says sponsored. Uh, but that was written by sponsored in March of 2015. Love it. Thank you to Origins.net for Delphine Lullerie, A Beautiful Face, Masks Evil Deeds, written by Alexa Vukovic on December 2019. Thank you to the lineup for Madame Delphine Lullerie, The Most Evil Woman in New Orleans, written by Stephen Cazale in April of 2019. Thank you to FrenchQuarterPhantoms.com for the real story behind the Lullerie Mansion, New Orleans' most haunted home, written by Author Unknown. And thank you to Ghost City Tours for your entry on the Lullerie Mansion. Yeah. Yeah, you're all sweeties. Thank you so much. Yeah. And thank you, Johnny, for bringing that story to that spooky. Because it's one, it's kind of an infamous one. And uh, I'm a little surprised at how much I didn't know about it. Well, you're welcome. But ultimately, you can thank Megan without an H for that one. Because she hooked us up, right. baby. She yeah. made it happen. She manifested it. She truly did. <laughs> now, speaking of manifesting, you manifested some knowledge today. We filled our brains up with a lot of information. And mm-hmm. I'm looking at you right now. And I only got one question. Tyler... What did you learn today? I mean, maybe it's the cop-out of what you learned, but, like, don't believe everything you heard because I thought I knew this story relatively well, and I didn't. I just got wrapped up in all the sensational facts and all the rumors, the gossips and rumors. Don't listen to the gossips and rumors. Yeah, just because Ryan Murphy tells you it's true, it doesn't mean it's true, baby. Right, right. Cite your sources. Truly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I truly did think that her daughters got uh, wrapped up in a mob and and were kind of publicly executed, and that didn't happen at all. No, and her head didn't get chopped off, and then she lived as a disembodied head, brain that wouldn't die style, and forced to watch Roots. Yeah, Yeah, that didn't happen either. Yeah. Although, again, it would have been lovely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. Do your research, which I think we do on this show anyway. Yeah, good. But, uh, yeah, do your unprompted research. I love it. Yeah, so that's what I learned. What did you learn? Well, I think I learned today that we shouldn't talk about anybody on this podcast that's a public figure unless we know whether or not they voted for Trump. Right. Because, Christy Alley, you have forsaken me. Mm-hmm. hmm I mean, That I hurts. Do, yeah, I do love Drop Dead Gorgeous, but uh, there's more to that movie than just Christy Alley. Yeah, and I mean, like, look, I'm not trying to say that you need to not love somebody based on their political views, but I'm not going to give a platform to that bullshit, especially mm-hmm. when she's given a platform to that bullshit. Yeah. So, yeah. That's what I learned. All right. So that brings us to the next portion of the show then. Tyler, you have a review to read, don't you? I do. It's review time. Mm -hmm. And this one comes from Apple Podcasts. It's from underscore Emma underscore Anda underscore, which is Amanda, and it's from the United States. And she says, love, 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 four stars. Y'all are so amazing. Four? 
Uh, five stars. I was about to I'm say. Sorry. I'm sorry about it. Sorry, Amanda. Uh, oh, sorry yeah. for throwing you under the bus. I'm, yeah. I'm a five star only diva. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Five stars. This is it's hotels that are four stars. Don't right? come. For yeah, me. but we're not a hotel. Yeah. You can't stay no. here. No, no. No. Anyway, Amanda says, "Y'all are so amazing, especially if I'm having a bad day. Y'all always cheer me up. I literally laugh out loud sometimes." Three purple hearts and three kissy face emojis. Damn. Well, three purple hearts and three kissy face emojis right back at you, Amanda. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. That's so sweet. Yeah, we're going to rate you five stars. Yeah, I would never rate you four stars, and I would hope you would do the same for me. <laughs> Thank you, because my personal value is tied up in this podcast. Thank uh-huh. you very much. Right. Thank you so much. All right, yeah, and if you want to help, you know, my personal value stay afloat, uh-huh. you can be just like Amanda, and you can leave us a rating and review, and that's five stars only, Diva, on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you're listening to us on now funny enough you can't leave a review on stitcher but you can always email us that review you mean we spotify love spotify what the s1 one of those s1s <laughs> the one that ends in audify yeah the sp- one yeah with the p yeah okay so basically you can email that to us get it to us anyway we love hearing from you babies and if you were looking for another way to support the show and you've got a few bucks to throw around during these miss rona times we would love you forever if you could hop on over to the secret society that doesn't suck like we were saying at the beginning of the show our jobs are closed down indefinitely Mm -hmm. so yeah we would really appreciate the extra support especially during these kind of wacky times that a lot of us are going through so if you can't we totally understand but there are some fun perks in there for you. So you get weekly mini episodes called Spooky Snacks, and they're not so mini, honey. And there are a bunch of live streams throughout the month that you can get access to by being a member on there. And you can also suggest episode topics for us to do on the show, like Megan with no H did today. Hey. Yeah, so that's that spooky. No, it's not. It's patreon.com slash that spooky. Yes. Not that spooky.com slash Patreon, although that might be smart. That could be smart. Yeah, we'll think about it. Yeah, yeah. consider it. We'll put it up to the, 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 the we'll, we'll bring it up in the meeting. We'll ask the bitch. Yeah, we'll put it in the meeting. <laughs> we'll yeah. ask the bitch. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we've got to summon her anyway. She's got a lot of unanswered questions. Cher, can you write a note for us to summon the bitch after this? Thank you so much. So stupid. <laughs> now, if you also want to just kiki with us, you can follow us on social media. We are on Instagram and Twitter at That Spooky Pod. You can get show notes from there. You can get funny memes from there. You can get connection from there. You can get purpose you might meet your future partner there yeah you never know you could find love on our social media baby in that comment section yeah that misconnections you never know misconnections in the comment section baby yeah and if you were looking for another way to engage with us you can also send us an email at that spooky pod at gmail.com that's t-h-a-t-s-s-p-o-o-k-y-p-o-d which is exactly how we spell it in the social media at gmail.com and you can send us like your own freaky stories weird shit that's happened in your hometown have you seen a ghost was it naked let us know Uh also please send us pet photos we love them yes we do yeah and we are putting together a hall of fame don't you worry baby i don't know what that's gonna look like when that's gonna come out or where that's gonna be but it's gonna be a thing someday i'm sure of it right we're looking for a block to buy yeah you know we just don't know what street 
we should put the stars on yet. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Oh, you're thinking of a walk of fame. Oh, hell yeah. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Double yeah. down, baby. We'll just, like, buy a street. We'll put down fresh payment, and yeah. we'll get everybody's animal to walk across it. I love it. Wouldn't that be cute? It would be cute. It mm-hmm. truly would be cute. Yeah. I'm into this. I don't know why I seem so angry right now. <laughs> it's such a good idea. It's a great idea. Yeah. You know what also is great? Why? Our website. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's thatspooky.com. Easy peasy. Don't forget it. You can't forget it. It's so easy. No, and you can listen to episodes on there. You can read show notes, all that kind of stuff. We are going to be updating the other sections of it in the coming weeks, uh, you know, as long as we're on this indefinite social isolation. So mm-hmm. keep an eye on the website. It's going to be looking real cute. Yeah. Cuter gonna, than usual. Yeah, we're going to embellish it. Yeah, why not? Mm-hmm. That'll be fun. And if you're on there, oh, no, wait, there's nothing on the store right now. Mm-mm. But if you're listening to this in the future and we've got T-shirts or enamel pins on the store, you should hop on over to that spooky.com slash store. Yeah, why not? Yeah, get yours. Check to see what's going on there every now and then. You never know. You might be the first to find out that our pins are back in stock yeah yeah although if you are hoping for a spooky bitch pen it probably will be another two months until we are fully back in stock for those because of COVID 19 miss rona thanks miss rona anyway so that's that thank you so much for joining us this week everyone it was real cute it was cute yeah we hope that you're staying safe we hope that you're staying healthy we hope that the medical practitioners in your hometown are able to get the masks and the gloves that they need mm-hmm. yeah yeah been, i was reading a report donald trump is blaming healthcare workers now for hoarding masks can you yeah. believe it oh oh mm-hmm. totally yeah because they just wanted to add another level of drama yeah. to the situation yeah for some reason he doesn't understand why they may be um, in more demand at this point in time because from what I understand is they're pretty much a one-use item in the hospitals. Like, you use it once, you take it off, you can't use it again. It's ineffective. Yeah, but look at Donald Trump. I doubt he's ever spent any meaningful time in a hospital outside of facelifts in his life. You <laughs> he know could I mean? use one, honestly. Well, like, I mean, yeah, don't tell me, tell him. Uh-huh. Yeah. Anyway. Right. Anyway, on that note, you don't need a facelift listener. You've got natural beauty. Uh-huh. And the older you get, the more stunning you get. You're yeah. like a fine wine. You're like Harrison Ford. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Or Debbie Harry. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, my God. Grace Jones. Grace Jones is perfect, too. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Oh, Grace Jones. Yeah. I love Grace Jones. She told Lady Gaga off. Because she's seen it all before because she's Grace Jones. So we'll see you next week. We love you very much. Kissy kisses. And don't forget, if you're going to be a bitch. Be a spooky bitch. Bye. Bye. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to That Spooky early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen early and ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey.